What's good, familia mia? This is your girl, Odalis Jasmine, and y'all are listening to the one and only platform, Hello Latino. Today, I'm talking to the homie, the day one, Joel or Joel, depending on who's saying it. And let me tell y'all about the coolest dude you're going to find at Microsoft. Joel is a Dominican-born and Brooklyn-raised corporate hustler, as he likes to say, from Section 8 to being a product manager. He's here to tell his story and make y'all laugh along the way. I also want to take this moment to educate y'all on East New York, which is Joel's hood. As of 2018, their rate of violent crimes per capita is greater than that of the city as a whole. The incarceration rate of 1,065 per 100,000 people is higher than that of the city as a whole. I always like to say that the hood breeds some beautiful people, and it's proof that no matter all these systemic inequities and all the things that they try to put against our communities, beauty blossoms. It's a whole lot of rainbows and, and flurries and, and okay. good stuff coming. So that's how you hey, know. Yeah, that's how it is. Well, I I'm <laughs> honestly I'm so excited to have you on again. We were just talking about you've been a day one fan, <laughs> or or one of my first one of my first fans, and I'm really just so honored that you're here because it's really long overdue, and I'm excited to jump into your story and todo lo que estás haciendo because you're doing amazing things. So I'm excited sure. to have you here. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I, I'm really excited to be a part of the podcast. I think the platform that you've, you know, established and, and you know, the, the people that you're kind of put in the spotlight to, uh, you know, obviously like the LinkedIn, uh, you know, sessions that we usually have, I always have people hitting me back up, like after the session. Yeah. And like, yeah. it just shows that like, there's a gap. There's a gap in representation. There's a gap in content. There's a gap and all of these different facets that you're feeling yeah. and and I I wholeheartedly support you. I always whenever I see your shit, I, I repost it. I'm always like, you Yeah, do. let's go. You do. Yeah, and I appreciate that. And what he means, y'all, for those listening, is he's part of the audio series, like Joel is a regular, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and really, really happy that you are out here representing because there's something that I know like really clearly is that I don't have all the answers. I don't know all the tips and tricks of like what it means to be first generation or an immigrant or I can't I can't have all that information. But what I do love to do is highlight folks that have these different experiences and stories to share and are willing to share it in the most real way possible and I don't know who's more real than you like I'm gonna be real like I talked <laughs> I asked you that question on that audio event like what was the first thing you did with your money and you're like I bought myself a gold chain and I just thought that was the most hoed answer ever and I'm like <laughs> we need more real in the world like you so yeah no I, <laughs> I I sometimes am honest to a fault because um funny 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 story really quickly I, I go into a store in uh in new york city with my boy it's his coffee shop he loves going there and usually when you get a bacon egg and cheese in new york you go to a deli so i'm like i'm gonna get a coffee here and then i'm gonna go to the deli and get a, get a sandwich um and so they hear they overhear us at the coffee shop like the the baristas they're like oh we make sandwiches here blah, blah, blah. and i'm like I'm like, all right, fuck it, man. I'll try it. <laughs> oh, and, <no. laughs> and my boy, my boy goes, damn. Like, 
I know you're not gonna like it. I'm like, I mean, they insisted, so I was like, I, I, I went ahead and tried it, and so I ate it. I didn't say anything. Yo estoy en camino para salir, like I'm leaving, and we saying bye, and 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 then the the barista goes, so what'd you think of it? And 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 I go immediately. I was like, it wasn't my cup of tea, but hey, I appreciate you, man. <laughs> and my boy goes, bro, you too honest, bro, you too honest. <laughs> That's my coffee shop. <laughs> Yo, it's it's honest, but it's, we need more of that in the world. And I feel like you probably heard this, too. Like, I'm from the West Coast. Everybody's way too nice over here. Mm-hmm. Like, in New York, that was one of the things I loved about the area was how honest people were. And what's that saying? It's like, in New York, people are not nice, but they're kind. I haven't heard that, but 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 I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> Yeah, but it's opposite in the West Coast, right? Like, people are nice, but they're not always kind. And I think it's, I guess what the saying is, is really, like, people in New York have a kindness about them, but they're brutally honest, too, which I love. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to be a yes man, like, in your crew. Like, I've yeah. I've definitely had some friction in relationships because, like, I've, like, platonic relationships where I just, you know, like, I, I just tell you what I think and because I want the best for you. And, and if I want the best for you, uh, sometimes, you know, I'm going to tell you something that you're not seeing. And sometimes when we see that truth, it's hard to process and, and realize it. And like, I, I want people on my team that's going to tell me the truth because I know I got blind spots. I know I got blind spots. I don't want no yes men around me because at the end of the day, like that's, that's going to lead me down a bad road probably. Right, right. A plus yeah. 100. I want to start with the first question. You probably hear it all the time on my podcast. And I think this question is hella important because our community, nuestra comunidad, tú sabes that it's diverse as hell. And we have so much beauty, sazón, color, all of it. And I want to ask you, mm-hmm. how do you identify and why? Yeah, I think there's multiple ways of identifying. Very interesting. Uh, so... First and foremost, I think I would identify as a Caribbean. Uh, and the reason I say that is because I'm from Dominican Republic. And being from Dominican Republic, uh, we have very, I think we have a very unique uh, characteristics across uh, versus, you know, different places and countries in uh, Latin America. So I like to, to really embrace that Caribbean side because that also includes my, my Jamaican, my Haitian, my, my other brothers also feel included as Caribbean uh, and I grew up with all of those folks and I feel very connected with that community so I think first and foremost I, I identify as Caribbean beyond that of course um, I speak Spanish and so I, I'm also Latino uh, but preferably Afro Latino and so those are like the layers unpacking those layers of, of like how you identify and why well let's unpack it I want to talk about I think you're the first person I've had hella Dominicans on this on this platform, as you know. And you're the first one that I think has identified strongly with Caribbean. Talk to me about like growing up, because you said you grew up with those communities and you're tied to it. I was just in another conversation talking about sometimes our experience, our identity is like almost pan Latinidad and like pan like all these different colors and stuff. So it is depending where we grow up. Yeah. And like talk to me about how you've embraced that Caribbean side specifically. Yeah, for sure. I mean, growing up uh, in East New York, Brooklyn, uh, you know, my neighborhood was comprised of Trinidadians, uh, Hondurans. Uh, shout out. Yeah, shout out Hondurans. 
Oh, ya lo reapunta. Y ya tú sabes. Um, <laughs> um, Costa Ricans, um, the Jamaicans, the Haitians. You got, you know, the whole West Indies. And so, you know, I ain't even mentioned Barbados, uh, uh, St. Lucia, uh, all those different countries. And so I would usually be like one of the only Dominicans. Uh, and that being that being the case, you know, I, I grew up listening to reggae. I, I grew up listening to punta. But then I go home and there's bachata, dembo, um, you know, merengue, salsa. So it was like this big mix. Now, granted, there was still Dominicans sprinkled across the neighborhood. And there would be like, you know, little Dominican get-togethers and stuff like that. But like when I would go out with my friends, I'd be listening to Vibes Cartel. I'd be listening to, you know, all these different uh, reggae artists um, and soca artists. And so I identify very strongly with that community. And that music, because it's very similar to Dominican music. And so, and sometimes, like, we literally share, like, the same beats between our communities. And, like, literally just put, yeah, yeah, and literally just put, like, you know, Spanish lyrics on top of, like, a, you know, a Jamaican rhythm or, you know, Honduran, like, beat or something like that. So, I think that's the main thing. I think the the thing that ties me the most is the, the music. And, and like you said, the experience mm-hmm. of growing up with, with those folks and like noticing like all of these different similarities. And, and to that point, too, talking about Afro-Latinidad, has that always been how you identify? Have you always been really strong? Like I'm Afro-Latino or I know like some folks talk about a very new term, right? Like it's a new thing. I think there's um, what's his name? Ian Lara, yeah. the the comedian, he talks about like Afro Latinos being the new thing. He's like, we're the next best thing. Hey, up, you know, like, hey, catch us while you can, because <laughs> that stock is rising. <laughs> no, yeah, I think it took a while for me to understand like that that like my history first and foremost, like the the island of of Hispaniola or Quisqueya, however you want to call it, has such a complicated history. Um, and to sit here and, and deny my blackness would be kind of doing a disservice to not only past generations and my ancestors, but also future generations who have a lot of healing to do. Um, you know, there's this joke that goes around that, you know, there's this guy, uh, it's like a, it's a very viral video of like, I know Dominican, I, I, I'm black, I, I'm no black, I know black, I'm Dominican. Um, and like, it, it, it you know, it's learned. It's learned. You know, it could be because like my brother is I have a cousin who who is, you know, as black as my shirt. And then I got a sister who's whiter than you in complexion. And yeah. so how do you how do you identify in that in that spectrum when your dad is, is mm-hmm. you know, very dark complexion? You didn't come out that complexion. It's, it's very complicated. So growing up, you don't really understand like how do I identify? Right, like where where am I yeah. in between this? Um, and so then I went and, and so much colorism that exists in the community too. Exactly, and so th- there's there's a couple of layers to unpack. Like I gotta, for instance, I need to acknowledge that you know the color of my skin, I'm a little lighter, and so there is privilege in that. Um, and and so I acknowledge my privilege, but then I also need to acknowledge, you know, the fact that I'm still learning. And, and in this learning process, like, what makes me feel comfortable as, 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 you know, I'm being addressed in terms of identity. And so this new term of Afro-Latinidad feels correct, 
right? But then that's why, like, I still lean on that Caribbean first and foremost because it's it's so complicated. Like, how do you, you know, like, in some communities you could be black enough and in others you ain't, you definitely ain't white. So, right. <laughs> like, where do you fit in the spectrum? Um, And so there was a lot of, like, kind of figuring that out as, especially, like, once I became, like, 18, 19, because before that, I feel like that was never a thought. I was just kind of going with life. And, yeah, you know, to some extent, yeah, yeah, to some extent, like, I was Dominican. I lived in a predominantly black neighborhood. There was no questions about it. And, like, and that was it. Yeah, like, that, that was, was it. it. Yeah, like, right. I wasn't, like, I ain't have to go, because I've never been in the outside world. Like, there's a saying, like, there's a saying, like, you know, you could grow up in Brooklyn, you could grow up in the Bronx, you could grow up in Queens, and literally, like, for years, never going to Manhattan. Because you got everything you need in, like, a one to two mile radius. So your neighborhood is everything you know and, and like, see. And that's, like, your perspective of the world to some extent for some folks. And for a lot of years, it was like that for me. Unless I went home to Dominican Republic. But other than that, like, like my neighborhood was where, where I saw everything. And you and you talk a lot about your neighborhood, too, and how it's it was a big part of your story, a big part of your identity. I'm curious, when was that moment when you started to, like identify and tell the world like I'm Afro-Latino I'm Caribbean like when was that moment for you or when was that turning point for you in your life I think I think it was like in college uh Mm. in college I really was that the first time you left your neighborhood or were you still in your neighborhood well it wasn't the first time I left my neighborhood because I grew up between Dominican Republic and and New York but it was the first time I left my neighborhood for a prolonged period in the U.S. which is very different Uh, because when I go back home to Dominican Republic this isn't even the topic. Like, I'm, I'm worried about talking in Spanish, learning the language again, and, and like, kind of just getting back into... First gen is fuck. Yeah, no, like, getting back into, like, the whole, like, ordeal of, like, right. living in Dominican Republic. But, like, I went away to college. Um, I went to SUNY Albany, so shout out to all my great days who might be listening. Yeah, like, I went I went to college, and I, I saw all these different communities... I started learning. I started taking classes in in different. Um, there was like a Latin America's class that talked a little bit about some of that stuff. Uh, very like early stage stuff about like Afro Latinos and um, yeah. it, it spoke about like the the amount of slaves that came from from West Africa into into Latin America and all these different things. And so it had me wondering like, yo, how do, how do like where am I in this like whole conundrum and not just that but like right what's my like makeup and so i went and, and got that whole 23 and me shit done and that shit was super interesting hey. i was just like wow like <laughs> what did you, what was your results for you like it was like it was all over the place it was like it was like 55 54 like from a whole bunch of like different west african countries uh nigeria it was like old empires that don't even exist anymore or something like that. And then um, obviously like uh, Port- Portu- Portuguese and, and Spain-, Spain was in there. And then also... Yeah, you got to get the oppressors in there, right? Right, right. <laughs> uh, the colonizers. Uh, that's, why <laughs> the my, colonizers. My, that's why your boy light skin. And then it was also, I was surprised. It was actually like like a 5 6% like native Taino. And I was like, oh, like, I mean, I guess that makes sense. But but I was also surprised about that because I was just like, you know, to my knowledge, the Dominicans who are who are who are like a little darker, they say, Oh, you're so you're so Indio, like I'm 
Indian or whatever, but like the Indians were eradicated like very quickly. You know, they were they they were gone before before they blinked the eye in terms of history and after after, you know, folks came came down from, you know, Spain and shit. So <laughs> That being the case, I never That's thought, That's a like, whole history right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to go too deep into the history, but I'm saying, like, it's that 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 helped me kind of unravel and, like, kind of start thinking, like, oh, like, you know, my history, how do you even, like, identify this big pool of, like, different folks who kind of intermingled and, like, you know, in a black and white world, I think um someone who you, who, 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 uh, you know, I think we both admire very, very vividly uh, Christopher Rivas. Um, he's 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 been talking about this topic a lot. Like in a black and white world, where do you do you fall in as as a brown person? Um, and so I thought I thought it was very interesting. And so I think that's where like Afro Latino started to pop up in my mind. I was like, all right, I feel like this this identifies because you know it it pays it pays the dividends to to my ancestors who like if you listen to Dominican music. Is very very similar to to African like with, with the percussion. Oh, the, all of it, merengue, yeah. salsa, the dembo, salsa, like with the boom, yeah, boom, boom. Come on, so yes, so it's like it. it's it's there, it's there, and and you can't deny it. And so it's part of it's part of my my culture, it's part of, part of my DNA makeup, and mm. I I want to represent it uh, appropriately. And so I'm still learning. You know, if someone has, you know, things that, that they could teach me, I'm happy to learn and, and continue learning and growing. Uh, but currently, that's that's where I'm at. Yeah. And I'll tell you, in, in college, I took a class called uh, Latin American Music. And it was the first time I was learning because, I mean, music is such a big part of la cultura, right? Like, it was the first time I was learning about history behind Latinidad through music and the influences that are in music that we listen to today. And one of the most interesting things that I learned, because you're talking about dembo, you're talking about reggae. Reggae was actually, do you know the history of reggae and how reggae was created? It was like Panamanian, what? right? It was like Panamanian, right? It, I think, so. I mean, I don't remember where the origin of it, where it was, but the history behind how reggae was created was the colonizers were there, right? in wherever it was. I'm going to get this story all wrong. Wherever the origin was, like, the mm -hmm. colonizers were there. And they didn't like that the slaves were playing their traditional African music. It was too loud, too disruptive in their minds. And so they went back to these slaves and said, you guys got to stop playing music. Basically, like, cut off all music. And so the slaves learned, aprendieron, how to have their same beats in a quieter and more chill way oh, and that was the birth of reggae and That's i just crazy. thought how dope though that they were like well fuck y'all colonizers we're gonna create a whole different genre of music porque yeah. we're gonna play our music right uh -huh. like i just thought that was the most dope thing and dope history and it stayed in my mind <laughs> yeah i didn't i didn't i didn't know that but I, like there's so much to to um, like unpack and it's so cool um to learn about the history because it makes you just that much more proud of of your music like it really yeah. feels like like you already feel uh very happy and like it embody like it just empowers your whole body when you listen to it but like once you start learning the history behind it and and, and you get some of that to it 
it just adds a whole another layer to to the enjoyment yes a whole different level of like appreciation for it too right like it's just like damn this has some heavy history and like look what this community did and you feel like you have to like you have to carry that tradition on because yeah like and the fact that like our music is like the most streamed music today is crazy to me. It's crazy to oh, me sad. because I know, oh, <laughs> I know, like a decade ago, that wasn't the case. And frankly, I love Bad Bunny, right? I, I'm a huge Bad Bunny fan. Same plus one. <laughs> but there's a lot of folks who, you know, had to walk for Bad Bunny to run. And, and oh, a hundred percent, yeah. I mean, I I always think of that song too. Uh, Boricua More. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> he was like, that, I, I forget who, who he was, but that, Big Pun was on that song though, right? Yeah, he was, yeah. and it was. Um, oh shoot, I forgot their names. The two girls, the two. I think they're sisters. No, I mean that was a minute ago. But we should stop. Bush, we should like, stop butchering. We, we're giving. We're giving. Yeah, Gen right. Z right. We're now. giving all. We're the giving Gen Z right now. <laughs> We're giving Gen Z right now. We're giving young. We're giving giving young. Um, But all that to say, like, you're right. Like, this, we're a whole whole wave of Sazonas coming out. And I think it's, it requires spaces like this, spaces that a lot of different people in the community are creating and representation that you're creating within, like, tech. And we're going to go into your story in a bit. I think it's people like that that are changing the narrative behind what it means to be Latino, what it looks like to be Latino, and mm-hmm. educating folks through our stories of this is how you can appreciate us or lean into curiosity with us, right? Because we don't have enough spaces, we don't have enough education around our community. And I mean, talk about media, it's very one-dimensional when they talk about us, right? Yeah. And we gotta just, we gotta rep our story proud. I wanna talk about Man, where do I start? I just want to talk about like you growing up and and growing up from Dominican Republic, Brooklyn. Talk to me about your childhood. Paint the picture of what it was like to be little Joel running around and growing up in Dominican Republic and Brooklyn. Me and my two older brothers. Uh, there's a few of us, uh, so I just want to shout out all my siblings. Um, it's a big family. Yeah, it's a big family. <laughs> shout out to all my siblings. Um, but. It was me and my, my two other brothers uh, and my father that I that I recall when we came to the States. Uh, and I was about like four years old. Uh, and it was tough because we came a month uh, before 9-11, before like the, the, uh, the Twin Towers dropped. Uh, oh, and so, you know, I, I had a conversation with my mom about this. And I like I could only imagine like her like her stress and anxiety of like did I make the right decision because she she sent us to the states and she stood behind because um, her my mom and my father weren't together anymore but my mom wanted you know you know better opportunity for us and so that's the whole the whole reason she sent us but like with such a drastic event happening like with within thirty days of like you sending your children. Uh, you had three kids yeah. to the states. Um, I could only imagine like what was going through my mom's my mom's head. Uh, but fast forward like twenty years, really quickly, you know, it was worth it. It was worth it. She made the right yeah. decision, and I think I think um, you know, looking back at it, she was she was of course nervous and and probably had a lot of regret. But I think today she's very grateful for for the opportunity mm-hmm. that she gave us to come to this country. 
because uh, I know, like, I go back home to the Dominican Republic. I'm about to go uh, in the next few weeks back home. And I go home, yeah. and sometimes I see kids who I went to school with. Uh, because I spent time between Dominican Republic and New York since my mom lived in, mm-hmm. in, in, the, in the island. And so I'll go for one or two years sometimes. So I have friends yeah. who I went to school with who I know have photographic memory, who I know literally are mathematical geniuses, in my opinion, and they just don't have opportunity. For lack of better so words, real. they just don't have opportunity. Uh, their genius is untapped uh, due to lack of resources, whether it's the resources, whether it's the lack of opportunity. And so yeah. it's disheartening, but it's also humbling at the same time. Uh, you get a little mm-hmm. bit of survival's good, survivor, survivor's guilt uh, from going back. But I think it grounds me to, you know, always give back because I'm in a yeah. position of privilege to make a difference and understand that, like, not everyone has this opportunity, and so I have, I have, I have mm-hmm. a responsibility to, to, to them to, to do my best whenever I, I show up because I'm a representation of them. Yeah. Uh, and you out here, you out here doing the damn thing. So <laughs> shout out to you. I'll give you all your flowers because thank you. you, I'm sure, your, your friends, your family, they're all proud. Thank you, thank you. I mean, there's a lot of sacrifices, you know. Uh, yeah, we spent a lot of years uh, where my, my father worked multiple jobs. And I remember him dropping on, like, he had, like, a, he he, would, he was a security guard at Toys R Us. It's probably my favorite job that he had. Uh, shout out to, to the folks who know what Toys R Us is, because it, it, it ain't around no more. Shaking my head. But uh, my dad was a security guard at Toys R Us. My favorite place, because they will always have, like, the video games on display. And so, like, we will get in, like, before um, everyone else. And, and like, kind of, I'll just be there, you know, waiting until, like, our school, like, you know, school open. Because school open, like, at 7 8 a.m. Yeah. My dad was clocking in at 4.35. He was leaving the house. He, he was a single father. Up. Yeah. He was a single father, so he had to take his kids with him. You know, we'd be sleeping <laughs> bad by 7.38. Um, and so we would wake up with him, and I remember sometimes they, they would, like, his job, I guess they were tripping about him bringing us into, the, into like, you know, before at, before hours or whatever. Uh, if, if it was safety risk, whatever it was, he'll drop us off at McDonald's. And it was us three. We would wait two hours at the McDonald's before we could walk over to school. And we would do that sometimes in wow. the winter. So just think about, like, we in the McDonald's. Well, I can't and, imagine a New York winter. Uh-uh. <laughs> yeah, so it's like we, we, you know, we bundled up. The McDonald's ain't even that, that warm. You know what I'm saying? And, and we, got, we all got, you know, some chocolate going. And, you know, they be watering that chocolate down, man. <laughs> they do. <laughs> so, yeah, nah, like, that's kind of like a story to, to give you a reference of some of the things that we went through. Um, you know, my father ended up, uh, you know, getting disabled because he had an accident on, on the job. And so uh, we went through Section 8. We was, you know, through the shelter system. Um, it was tough. It was definitely tough. But I, I think to some extent for me, it it embodies the character that I am today. Like, I'm just gritty. And and I don't necessarily attach myself to material. So I could lose all the belongings I have today. And, like, I feel like I, I would be able to come back tomorrow and, and still have that hustle uh, that, like, you know, that breeded as a kid. Because, you know, looking back at it, I had so many jobs. So many jobs coming up. 
I I literally would sweep up the barbershop. I was a bag boy at the supermarket. I was a bus boy at the restaurant around the corner. Um, sometimes I would even help stock like the stuff. When I see like a, a shipment come at the corner store, my my uh, one of my boys who I tell I tell him he's my cousin, but he's not really my cousin. Type of type of friendship. We got we got yeah. hella though. Yeah, it's honorable <laughs> cousin. <laughs> He, he he used to work at the, at, at that corner store, so like I would be like, yo, I'll help you, I'll help you, um, you know, with the shipment if you give me fifty dollars yeah. or something like that for the day, and oh. it was it was oh, things like that. Yeah, no, yeah. it was things like that. Um, I sold hats, I sold nutcrackers, which is like these little alcoholic beverages. Don't do that. Completely illegal. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> Especially if you're underage. But you know, I I did a lot of things to be able to. You know, because there's, especially me being in the environment that I was in, you had yeah. to have, like, especially to, to socially assimilate, coming from being an immigrant, learning the language, um, having that language barrier, mm-hmm. having that little accent that, that sometimes pops up uh, with certain words, or not knowing certain words in English, but knowing them in Spanish. Uh, mm-hmm. To assimilate, you had to be like, you had to have the freshest kicks, you had to have, and my, you know, my, my dad wasn't up, up for the bill to, to do those things. And so for me to go and, and buy myself sneakers or to get me a haircut, I would do all of these things just to, to be socially accepted. Yeah. Oh, that's real. That's real. I want to transition to that moment of you trying to assimilate, you know, have the freshest kicks, have the, the nice hats, have the nice lineup. How much of that time... Because I think like what people don't talk about is you're trying to assimilate while also navigating a world and a space that not a lot of people know about. You just said like you went through Section 8, like I was there too. I, you know, you're going through shelters and, and this struggle. And I, I just can't put it enough out there, like this struggle of like one, trying to assimilate while also struggling so hard and dealing with all those mental health issues right that come up or those of how it affects just you as a human like how did you navigate these hard moments this struggle while also trying to fit in because I think what happens is you don't talk about what's going on you're just trying to like hustle move forward like you don't got time to like be in your feels how did you navigate that time and how did it all lead you to where you are now because I see you as someone hella successful and mm-hmm. I know that process was not easy. So talk to me about how you dealt with those moments to where you are now. Yeah, uh, I smile because you know it's it, sometimes I just I, I, I it comes out like it, it, you just smile about it because you look back and you're like, damn, like I really like really came this far. Uh, yeah, I, I give a lot of credit to my siblings. Uh, I was I was the youngest uh, of of the three boys that I mentioned earlier. Uh, and so I learned a lot through them. Uh, you know, from one of them, I learned how to, how to be street smart. And the other one, I learned how to, you know, stay in school. And, you know, there's, there's money to be made in school. Uh, yeah. you know, like they're about four, four or five years older than me. And so being, having that age gap, you kind of get to see them go through their preteens and their teenage years and even them going to college and like finishing college and you still in high school. So that gave me so much because um, w- one of them is an entrepreneur. He, he has a very successful uh, photography business. The other one is a mechanical engineer. And so 
you could only imagine the two paths that were completely different that they took. But the other one was always an entrepreneur. He was always an entrepreneur. He, I think he was 16 years old. He sold over $30,000, $40,000 in merchandise of ties um, Ooh, as a 16-year-old. Okay. So when I was seeing that, I was like, okay, like I could hustle. I could come out here and, and get my money. Like There's money to be made. I looked, I looked at the world from a different like lens. I was like, if you ain't getting money... It's because you ain't want, you ain't trying like you ain't trying to get money. It's money to be right. made like and so that was just a mentality. I'm not saying that that's the actual fact. Uh, and then the other one, he went away to college. He took me. He would take me sometimes. I was still in high school. He'd bring me up to Syracuse. He went to Syracuse University. That's why I also got the Syracuse uh, background on me. But uh, uh, he went to Syracuse University. He'd bring me up there. He'd take me to the library. You know, he'd walk me through campus. He'd show me all this stuff. And I was like, yo, I want this. Like, this is nice. I was like, there's cute girls here. Like, you're learning. He has, like, he, he was, he was you know, very close partnership with his, with his uh, fraternity brothers. I wanted that, too. I wanted that type of, you know, society to be a part of, uh, friendships to, to build on. And so I ended up going away to college. I was very inspired by my older brother. But to kind of answer your question, there's beauty in the struggle. Uh, and, and I leaned a lot on my siblings, um, you know, and I'm, I'm very blessed that I've had the opportunity, but I also spent a lot of time alone. Uh, cause one of them, the, the entrepreneur, he went and had a kid when he was 18 and the other one went away to college. And so I also spent a lot of time by myself. Uh, and I learned a lot about myself during that time. Uh, like, what do I want? Like, where, where am I going? What are my goals, aspirations? And, and what are my interests? And just et cetera, et cetera. And so I also learned how to kind of be self-sufficient um, because I think that's one of the biggest priorities you, you want as an immigrant to be kind of self-sufficient, not taking resources from the family anymore, um, because that allows that that takes that financial pressure off from the family. You know, if you're if you're still taking a lot, um, I think to some extent you become you feel like a burden. And I think that that could also affect you mentally as well. So I think a very mm. that hustle, right, came from that. But when I had the money to get my own things, it let me know, okay, like I don't gotta go and ask my dad and hear him be disappointed and say no, because I know he ain't got it. Or I don't gotta go and, and ask my older brothers for it, because I know he got a kid now. Or he he's expecting it two months. Like he worried about that. Mm. The other ones in college. He got college bills. He went to Syracuse. That's a private university. I don't know how much them bills is, but I know them bills is a lot. You know what I'm saying? I know we ain't got the money to pay that school. I know he applied to a lot of scholarships. So <laughs> <laughs> So I know I had to get I had to get my own too. And so I kinda that's that's how I grounded myself and, and you know, I, I kinda explained it to folks. You know what, Hoy? Like I don't even know if you know, but like we're we're life twins right now because I'm listening to you and I was like man I was also the youngest the me and my brother we were the closest in age and we were six years apart and you have this I think like the the beauty of that though and it's what you're explaining is that you like almost are like the observer too like Mm -hmm. you you play this role of the observer and you learn about these different types of paths that you can take right and it's almost like you learn what to do for yourself like I remember my sister was, she had a baby early and mm-hmm. became a mom really early. And I was like, 
I'm seeing her struggle. I don't want that, right? Like, you know what I mean? And then I see my brother. I'm like, oh, he went to college. He's doing the thing. Like, he inspires me. Or I saw my brother be an artist and create stories through art. And I'm like, oh, that's so dope. I want to do that. Like, you almost are your pieces of your brothers and your sisters and your family. And I, I think, like, that's what's beautiful about being the youngest sometimes is, like, you get to play the observer. You get to almost, like, take a step back and just be a sponge and take it all in because you're experiencing something different and you're like seeing your brothers do different things inspire mommy dice que i took the best of each of them <laughs> yeah because yeah because i know how to party and have a lot a lot of fun but then i also know how to like tone down and go like full like school and like yeah. get my grades or like make sure like i'm you know, professional at work, all this other stuff. Yeah. And mommy says I got it from both of them because she said the, the two spectrums are very different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can only imagine. You're only giving me a little bit of the sazon, so I don't know the full story, but there is, I don't know if you feel this because you're talking about you have more siblings, you have friends and homies in Dominican Republic. One of the things that I would, I would get uncomfortable with because me and my brother, the youngest of seven, we had very different opportunities, right? Because we were born here. We weren't immigrants. We had, you know, I, I don't know. We just had this different set of opportunities than my brothers. And I always felt weird when we would be in a family dinner or una, un party, una fiesta, and then I would hear my mom say, like, mira la niña, they call me la niña. They're like, mira la niña que está haciendo esto y el otro, y que tiene su negocio, y que está trabajando acá, y que está haciendo whatever. She brags about me, which I love, but then I'm surrounded by primos, my brothers, and I'm like, I felt guilty at one point because I was like, Uh, like I'm proud of myself, but I don't want to compare my journey to them because they just didn't have those opportunities. I just, I did. I had a different situation. I would almost like, I've overcome this and I've unlearned it, but never like to celebrate my wins because I was always thinking of my family, my friends, people, my life that just didn't have access to that. Did you ever feel that? To some extent, uh, I kind of mentioned it earlier with Survivor's Guild. Uh, yeah. Not, not only just... Uh, It's funny you mention it like from from a family perspective, but I also feel it from a neighborhood perspective. I go back to East New York, mm. and I went to mm. I went to high school with these folks who technically you would say had some of these opportunities as well, but they still on the block. You know, they still doing what we was doing. When we was 15 years old, um, and that's not to say anything about them specifically. I think there's there's more there's it's more complicated than that. But it does, it does, you know, it goes back to that survivor's guilt. Like, to some extent, you, how do you overcome that? It does, uh, yeah. And for me, it's it's not being cocky. Um, right. When I celebrate, I also celebrate others. Uh, and I give flowers. I always give flowers to others. Um, and... As I see other people doing anything, even if it's an Instagram story, like uh, one of my boys, uh, I think he was, he's, he's 26, 27. He's just going back to school now. I can't, I went and replied. I was like, let's go, bro. Let's get it. Yo, if you need anything, right. like, let me know. Happy to help you. Ah, ah, ah. Because at the end of the day, uh, at the end of the day, if you're helping others succeed, you'll, you'll never have that. Well, you will, 
maybe have that that envy around you potentially. I don't, I won't say never, but it's a lot harder for people to envy you because you're not in competition with them. I'm not in competition with you. I'm in competition with myself. I I want to see you win, and if you if you succeed and win more than me, shit, let's do it, bro. What you on? I want to see what you on. Put me on now. Mm. You get what I'm saying? Like it's yeah. never about competition yeah. with me, and so I think I think that envy breeds from competition and and comparison. And so you're kind of like secondhand thinking about it or like even the vibe that you feel around some of those folks who, who might, you know, give you that energy. And I think, you know, my advice, my advice is, you know, you got to ignore it. You got to ignore that energy when you do feel it. Uh, but there's there's ways for you to mitigate the, you know, the amount of that energy that you you kind of bring in. Because for me, like, yeah, I could be flashy sometimes, right? Uh, especially, yeah. you know, with my outfits or like if I go to the <laughs> club and chain. I, <laughs> yeah, nah, for sure. And, and if yeah. I go to the club and I'm popping bottles or something like that, mm. um, somebody might like be like, oh, like, why can't I have that? You know what I'm saying? Right. But at the same time, if you go on my Instagram, my first page, my first thing is the link to my newsletter. Okay. Like how to be a product manager. You know what I'm saying? For, for a long time, like, uh, while I was at IBM for a little bit. Uh, a few years ago before I joined Microsoft, I was doing resumes. And I was doing resumes for like $15, $20. And so my thing is, is like, you can't, like, we got the same 24 hours, right? And even if you're a little bit older, like, there's so much examples now, especially with access to the internet, of folks making transitions, not only into tech, but into different industries. There's so many trades. There's a, there's a shortage in plumbers. There's money to be made out there. That part. But what I'm hearing you say, too, is, like, show up for your, like, almost, like, don't forget where you came from and show love to your community, like, love on your community. And I hear that so much from different people and, like, for all those that are listening, because I deal with it at moments, too, where I still have that survivor guilt, right? Or I still have that guilt of, like, oh, no me gusta que me, me sacan el coco or me, me, like, make my head all big. Like, sometimes mm-hmm. I'm, like, I just want to be humble. But there's also beauty in celebrating your wins. For and sure. I think it's exactly what you're saying, like giving back to the community. Be flashy when you want to be flashy, but also love on the people who are your foundation too at the mm-hmm. end of the day. I, You're talking about IBM, talking about Microsoft. Again, we're talking about you being hella successful, okay? Latino excellence over here. <laughs> I want to talk about what's that journey looking like from when you were in college and you had like one path that you wanted to be in. I think like you were talking about earlier, college is where you started to really talk about your identity and kind of get into grasping who you are. And I think that's college for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Talk about that journey from college to what you're doing now as a product manager at Microsoft and what that journey and process look like. Yeah, I, I, I want to give a quick shout out to P-Tech. Um, P-Tech was the high school that I went to uh, in Brooklyn. And they're like a six-year program that give you the opportunity to get two years of college for free. And so I got the, the associates before I went away to college. That's oh, uh, fire. Yeah, like beautiful. Um, <laughs> and then they also have a partnership with IBM. So my first internship with IBM happened, uh, I was a marketing intern in 2014. Uh, and so funny enough, marketing, right? Completely different uh, spectrum th- than what I'm doing today. Uh, but 
I think P-Tech kind of gave me an awesome opportunity to kind of see what corporate America was about at, very, at a very early age. Uh, I remember like being 15, 14, and like I was kind of like, I was in the street trying to get my money. I was, like I mentioned to you, I was, I was standing on my feet. You know what I'm saying? I, I'd probably be a busboy f- for, for a week, and I'd maybe get $150. And God knows how many hours I did between, you know, how many dishes I washed in, in that week. And so for $150, like, you know what I'm saying? Like under the books, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a very different, you know, environment when you, you put on a suit, go sit at a desk, go sit at a desk and, and you getting paid $14 an hour where at the time, the minimum wage at, in, in, in New York, I think, was seven twenty-five. So I was getting paid double of what the minimum wage was in the city at the time. I was like, was oh, yeah, it's home. over. It's over. Like, I, I, I was like, <laughs> I was like, I could do this and get paid right. double and do, like, right. do, like, probably 90% less of the manual labor work. Like, I was like, and then I could use the rest of my energy that I already have bundled up to still have a hustle. It's up. It's up. Like I'm, I'm, I'm about to be yeah. double up. And so, <laughs> I was, I was working that. Um, funny story. That summer that I was doing the internship with, uh, with IBM, I was also selling hats. Uh, my boy had like a little hat business. He called it Sombrero Boys. Uh, shout out Sombrero Boys. Shout fire. out fire. That's a fire yeah. name. <laughs> yes. Yeah, shout out. Uh, shout out DJ Cuero. But uh, basically, he had he had the hats, and so he would sell it to me for like maybe five, seven dollars. Uh, a hat, and then I go resell it for thirty to forty dollars a hat. While I'm working at IBM, getting paid like fourteen, sixteen dollars an hour. So it was just so like, wild. it was just like, and so I always, I always had that hustle in me. But to to kind of get back to to you know the story of like eventually like full time, I went away to college. Um, I kept those connections. I kept interning at IBM. Uh, I did a little stint with the New York State as a web developer because I kind of thought I wanted to do software engineering. Um, I studied computer science, and that was hard as hell. <laughs> I, did I was going to say, what happened with that? You were like, uh-uh. <laughs> I did way too much math that I'm not using right now. Let's just say that. <laughs> and um, my first two years, I came out. Uh, I got an offer to be a tech consultant in the public sector in uh, Washington, D.C. And so I did that for a couple years. Um, I got promoted as a senior tech consultant. It was an awesome opportunity. Um, because uh, as a consultant, you, you get to do a lot of different projects. And so I, I got to see, I think, probably like five or six different projects in those like two and a half years. And I kind of got touches of product management. That's kind of where I, I got kind of exposed to it. But then also I had heard about the role like towards the latter stages of college. And so I was like at this like fork in the road of like, do I want to stay in like, do, uh, like software engineering or do I want to do product management? And as you notice, I'm I'm probably someone who gets energy from working with others or collaborating. And so when I was doing some of the software engineering stuff, I would get thrown in a corner, in a cubicle. And this is like when we had to show up to the office every day. So you don't even got the convenience of your home. I would wake up. Nobody would say good morning to me. I walk into the office. I sit down, open my laptop, uh, open my desktop and code for the whole day. Like that's what I was doing. Bro. And I'd sit, I, it was so depressing. Like I would literally have lunch at my desk by myself. Um, oh. And like, 
Yeah, like I did that for like two years. And so like when when I started getting some opportunities and different projects to do product management or like some different some some more like collaborative work, I was like, yeah, this is definitely what I want to do uh, in the long run. And so I just put my head down. Um, I hired someone to help me like, you know, get better at my interview questions. Uh, that was a, a pretty penny, but it paid its dividends, of course. Uh, and in the middle of the pandemic, which is crazy, uh, Microsoft gave me an offer to be a product manager, uh, working on windows. So it's, it's been, it's been quite the journey just to even do like product management. It took like two or three years, uh, of hearing like no's and no's and no's while I was at that job, like not feeling good about myself. Wow. Wow. I, I'm like, I have like 10 different questions in my head right now. Like one is just you reminded me of something that I feel like our community is slowly, I mean, there's people like Bobby that are slowly doing this work, but like, you don't know what you don't know. Like you didn't know product management was a role and mm -hmm. you were like, Oh, like that's fire. I had no idea program management was a role. And I was mm -hmm. like, Oh, like I'm doing that too. You know what I mean? Like I think it's access to that information and like how dope that you got to have tastes of like all these different things in your role, marketing, software engineering, and now product management. And I'm sure you feel this too, but like it probably all led to product management. It makes you an even better product manager now having all that experience. And I just think it's fire that you were able to like find your way and find mm -hmm. what you were good at, what gives you energy and find that so early. And I hope that everybody listening is inspired by that. Like find what gives you energy and do more of that. Cause you 40 hours 100%. a week being depressed mm, uh-uh <laughs> it, it, and it starts to like carry over into other aspects of your life that's what a lot of people oh, don't talk for about sure. because for sure. like you know i feel like right now i'm i'm you know very content and happy at work uh i can i, I have energy for other things in my life you know i have energy for this podcast i have energy for, for the linkedin sessions i have energy to go work out i got energy to give to my family versus yeah. the other the other instance or like version of Joelle was like just mentally preparing to be in this cubicle for eight hours a day even if I was done with my work because so back crazy. then you had to show up to work so this, this is pre-COVID <laughs> yeah you're like now I get to work from home I'm chilling <laughs> I'm saying you finish up it's your beautiful. work you know what I'm saying it, it's, it's, a, it's a whole different vibe it's definitely a whole different vibe <laughs> yeah I also want to ask you, like, what has it been like for you to be a Latino in tech? And how do you bring, like, who Joel is into Microsoft or into this workplace? Yeah. Uh, I think it's, it's being a part of the, ER, uh, the ERGs, uh, the employee resource groups. Uh, I'm not as active with the, with the Latinos at Microsoft One. Uh, the Blacks at Microsoft One, I'm, I'm part of the steer committee there. Uh, and and specifically the networking one. So we, we work on setting some, some networking opportunities for other black uh, employees at Microsoft. And so that, that's been one of the ways that I bring kind of, you know, not only I say like, I want the company to be, you know, inclusive and, and bring diversity and all these other things uh, that include the whole DNI uh, umbrella, but I'm also being an active participant uh, in that environment. And so I'm showing that the com showing the company that we care about this, uh, and, and being an advocate for, for not only resources, but for a diverse hiring talent pool. Um, 
and and then the other thing uh in terms of, of bringing who joel is um you know how you see me right now uh like you know with, with the with the yankee fitted uh glasses <laughs> beard the hair growing out the curls um you know for a long time like i didn't i didn't have a beard when i when i started in corporate america or even when i was 16 uh side sidebar a uh, story um we got we got a presentation at, at the school I was at, uh, and it was kind of telling us, you know, how to dress professional. Uh, and so at the time, I think I had long hair, I had braids, I had a earring on my left ear. Um, I didn't have I didn't have facial hair, but it uh, it also talked about facial hair and being cleaned up. Um, and you would imagine that what I currently have is not a representation of what that looks like. Uh, and so I remember I wanted that job. I wanted that opportunity. And so I cut my hair. I took my earring out. Um, and today I make it a priority to, you know, kind of like grow my hair out however I want, like whenever I want. Um, grow my beard out if I feel like growing my beard out because uh, I like it. I like it styled this way. Uh, and, and, you know, it doesn't matter uh how i look it, it matters the work and and the business impact that i have and you know right. i usually have very high business impact and so that being the case it's like how i look has <laughs> okay. nothing to do let him know <laughs> for sure like how i look has nothing yeah. to do because just how i bring that hustling mentality from you know when i was a youngin i bring that same hustling mentality to the business okay how can we make more profit how do we bring more users how do we grow the business uh, I'm looking at it from that perspective as well. Like, okay, this is just a different hustle. Oh yeah, 100%. And that's your superpower too, right? And I think that's what nobody tells you is that all the things that you learn being young, hustling and being on the street, selling all these things, being a busboy, all of that teaches you this level of work ethic, resilience, customer service, if you will, too. And mm -hmm. you bring all of that into this space and to change how you look and how you show up for a space that you're like, you're hiring me for me and, and all the things that I bring, like it adds a different layer of complication that you don't need to go through. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like you don't need to change the way you look because this is who you are and you're bringing, like you said, high business impact and that's why they hired you. And I think we're slowly making moves, hopefully across other businesses. I know tech is one thing and there's a whole different world of industries out there. Yeah. But we're slowly making moves to be more representative of what it means to just show up as your authentic self because it takes so much damn energy to like try to be somebody else. And it like does. you got energy now for all these other things, like it, it, it increases productivity, if anything. <laughs> it does, it does. I mean, I feel like that that version of Joel was I show up to work and I would kind of be conscious of how I'm talking because I know I say things very differently because of my, to some extent, my New York accent. So working in DC and being around a ton of folks who are from Virginia or these these suburbs of, of the DMV, yeah. I would stick out like a sore thumb when I talked. And so I, I would kind of like change how I was talking a little bit mm. um, just to kind of like, you know, neutralize that accent. Or for instance, like, you know, when you pull up to, there's this funny saying like when you pull up to the parking lot like not necessarily blasting your music like turning your music down but yeah, you're kind of pulling yeah. up to the parking lot because you ain't you know what i'm saying so it's it's, yeah. it's it's those little things um 
that I'm noticing have nothing to do with work. I have nothing to do with work. I have nothing to do with work. It's just this perception, uh, especially that we uh, as Latinos have of like having to go into these corporate spaces and kind of completely taking our sason out. Right. And that's all our flavor, literally all of our flavor. And for those who are listening, Joel, like what what are some tips that you would give to people of like how they can start showing up in the workplace a little paso a paso, right? Little by little of how they can start showing their sazon at, at its fullest. Yeah, I think it starts with appearance, um, wearing what, what, what you feel comfortable with. Um, obviously, you know, to, to some extent, keeping it uh, presentable. And pre- by presentable, yeah. I mean, like, you know, like, I, I wouldn't show up here shirtless, like, you know? Right. Like, that's that, that's that's <laughs> right. a, an extreme example. I have to just put it out there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, but I think if, you know, if you if you want to wear something, uh, like, I know, I know, for instance, for, for women, like, who have a, a curvy a curvy body naturally, that's a big thing. It's like, are, are you going to penalize a woman because of her body shape? Uh mm. I'm saying, uh, so start been to there, wear, been there. <laughs> start to wear the things that you feel comfortable wearing. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, as, 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 and when it comes to hair, when it comes to beards, when it comes to, you know, like the jewelry that you like to wear, I think that's a very easy first step that like, is not like boom in your face. Um, you know, going a step further beyond that is, you know, not necessarily like, changing the way you talk completely um sometimes i'll t- like i'll be in, in a call with one of my engineers i'm like i bet let's do that <laughs> and they understand me they understand what i'm saying is is no difference you know but you gotta set that level of comfortability you have to set those relationships up um you start i think the the guideline for me is i start very professional and then the layers start to kind of unravel right, right. <laughs> really about to show y'all who i am <laughs> <laughs> like the email starts as hello first week and then before you know it joel's saying what's up <laughs> bro why is that a real thing though like my emails i'd be so entertained with my own emails i'm, I'm like saying, i put my sasson i put all my sasson in my emails <laughs> i got a ton of emojis in my shit now <laughs> bro a hundred percent i'm like oh you're y'all gonna get some stuff some of my emails my recaps best recaps i will get some like jokes in there like i'll be real i'll be me but like yeah first day i was like i'm still learning like what folks will be acceptive of but it's almost like the way i describe it is like you're in your like little zona de confort right like you're in your mm-hmm. comfort zone and what you're saying like it starts with appearance like you start stepping out of that circle and then you realize the circle gets bigger and bigger and like your world low-key expands because you're really living in your truest most like authentic real highest self and then you realize that more people for me what it does is it opens this chain reaction of other people feeling being like their authentic thing. selves right yeah. and it starts this like and then it's fun to come to work it's fun to come to and say hi to people that are just being themselves like Ain't no faking it for 40 hours a week. Like, it's just fire. Well, let's not do that. Let's not do right. that. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. that I, I just, I, I will. Y'all listening? <laughs> yeah, I will not be in an environment where, like, I have to be someone else anymore. I just, I, I don't think it's, it's, it's good for your, for your headspace. No, it's not good for your soul either. Like, 
man, it, it takes, I'll tell you this quick story and then we'll move on to, to our, our closing. But I remember there was, there was this thing that we did. It was like early in my career, it's called insights. And it's essentially like they give you these four different energies that are natural to you, whether it's like excitement, harmony, um, detail oriented, like whatever. Mm -hmm. And then it, what was cool about this thing was that it told you how much energy it took for you to have your natural energies and then channel that to work. So, and so we had this facilitator look through, we were looking at our results and no se que, we were going through it. And the facilitator is like, yeah, usually pretty high range is like if it takes 30% of your energy to like shift to go to work like that's pretty exhausting on just our bodies and our yeah. psych- our psyche right I look at my chart and I was like mine says 45% <laughs> energy and then she like came over to me she looked at it she was like I've never seen that number like are, are you exhausted all the time and Joel, I, I kid you not I started crying I was like I'm tired all the time like, oh my god just exhausted and that was the first moment for me where I'm like how many people how many like folks that come from the same communities and streets that we come from are dealing with this exhaustion of going to work trying to be a different person trying to fit in a different box and then going back home and just feeling like god damn like kind of taking the out of me. taking the costume off right like it's so exhausting and that was the first moment where I it kind of opened my eyes like do I want that to like exhaust my energy all the time for this and this was your your first this was like your first like this was like this was my first job like my first internship ever I'm an intern okay and I'm like Uh oh my god and then I went into my other job and it was the same thing like the same exhaustion that I was feeling and it wasn't until like two jobs later where I realized like, can I just be me? And I was still figuring out what that meant. And I mean, again, it's it's figuring out what's a priority to you. Like like you just said, I'm no longer gonna work for a company that won't accept my fullest self. Like if you can't handle my Spanish slang and saying like, what's the cheese me? Like, mm-hmm. I don't wanna be there. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. Right, I, I, think, I think it's so beautiful to hear that like, you've come that far because I think especially as a Latina woman like other women need to hear that there's so many Latina women out there who like I've spoken to some of them and they just they don't feel seen they feel out of place um so yeah it's it's, it's, it's awesome to hear like I, I have no words to explain like how important it is, you know, for other yeah. women to hear like what you're saying. Because I mean, I I talk about this in other episodes too of how being a Latina woman is a whole different layer. Not to say Latino men don't mm-hmm. deal with their own set of struggles and pain, but just I mean, all the things that we're up against, like low pay, overly sexualized or yep. overly stereotyped. Like I was told at one point, and I I talk about this very openly. I was asked to stop wearing to start wearing cardigans because I was a little more curvier and yeah. I was asked to change what I was wearing even though everybody around me was wearing the same the shirt. same the same I thing. was asked to stop wearing I was wearing or cover myself because it was too distracting for the stakeholders it was too distracting for the people I was meeting with and I was so young and so like you know I was taking that takes that like, takes okay, out of you okay. I can only imagine that that takes out of who you are as a person like that right. kind of 
that level of like misogyny and object object objectification oh. like when you walk into the room you feel uncomfortable probably oh there's so many other things right that latina women deal with i mean even i'll tell you this story too i was invited to a, a business it was like a business event for my podcast and this was recent I got invited by someone like, would you be part of this event? We're doing X, Y, Z. And I'm like, oh my God, I would love to. It was my first like gig going out there and, and doing like business shit. I get invited and the whole time this person was just hitting on me the whole time, trying to talk to me in a very inappropriate way. And I felt so disrespected because I'm like, this is a business event I'm being myself, I'm being here, I'm like trying to make a name for my business and you're over here acting like I'm your property, like, bro, relax. Like, Can I give a I tip mean? to like, the fellas? Can I give a tip <laughs> to the fellas? Dale, please. I feel like, I feel like this, need, this needs to be heard. Um, fellas, if, if you think a woman in a professional environment looks attractive or you're interested in her, please be very sensitive to how you approach that situation. Um, not saying that because uh, a lot of people meet their partners at work, right? So it's yeah, completely sure. completely normal, right? For something like that to happen. Pero se pasan. <laughs> very much so. Very much so. Right. One, if, if, if she ain't into you off rip, dub it. Don't do that no more, bro. Right. And right. you shouldn't have done it to begin with. Uh, <laughs> two. Right. Two. Um, I would say if she's interested, she's going to show interest. Right. Right. Let she's going to show interest. Let him know. <laughs> she's going to show interest. Right. You know, just be, be very amicable, you know, have regular conversations and, and make no advances. Like if you, if and you, if you approach like that, you know what I'm saying? If you approach everything as a friendship, you know, and, and with respect, other things can can lead to other things from that. I'm not saying that 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 you're thinking that that's gonna happen, but if you approach it that way, in yeah. my opinion, yeah, you're in the clear. You know what it felt like? It felt like that person invited me as like, I'll buy you a drink, and you expect something from it. You like, get what I'm saying? Yeah, I was like, wait, hold up, you invited me to hit on me the whole time, and like at one point put his arm around me, and I was like, mm, that's what we're not gonna do. Like, you know what I mean? And I had to it changed the whole dynamic for me because I'm like, I came here like really excited for this opportunity and the mm -hmm. whole time you're just trying to like, the quieres pasar, like, uh -uh, I'm not going to go there with you. But I mean, there, there's a level of respect there. But all that to say as a woman, like as a Latina woman, there's a different level of like navigating these spaces in a way that... I couldn't even imagine. I couldn't you know even what? imagine. There's a lot of work to do in that realm. That's respect. a whole different conversation. Respect. Respect. <laughs> <laughs> we out here though I know we're hella over time but I want to ask you for a quick closing and yeah. a quick brindis tengo mi cafecito acá I'm still drinking it don't judge me yo me voy a mi trago second one of the day <laughs> oh tienes un traguito ya I mean it's, it's time off so I get it I want to do a little brindis and I want to ask you mm -hmm. what do you want to cheers to and what do you want to manifest for nuestra comunidad latina yeah so I would say I want to cheers to you know First, I want to cheers to you. Uh, you know, thank you for, 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 you know, setting up this this awesome conversation and the awesome conversations uh, from past participants and participants to come. Um, I also want to cheers to the spaces that we're occupying now. Um, 
I, I like absolutely love to see Latinos in entertainment, Latinos in, in, in corporate America, Latinos in... We out in, here. And, and everywhere. Like, I, I just love it. Um, and I think that representation matters because to see yourself do something, I think a lot of times the fact that these kids aren't seeing... Excuse me. The fact that these kids aren't seeing themselves in, you know, their, their role models whether it's a comedian who looks like them and is Dominican or Honduran or what, whatever other background and is telling those stories of like, you know, the El Chisme or like the fact that we had the, yeah. the bedroom separated with curtains and stuff like that. Like, you know, making, making that like yeah. funny and laughing at yeah. that pain because that's how we, to some extent, heal. Uh, it's like, you know, some of the worst things that's happened to you, right? We look back and we laugh at them, right? Because it's like, wow, like, that's crazy. Like, in that moment, I was that so really mad. That happened. Yeah, yeah. But, but like, yeah. I'm laughing at it now. Uh, yeah. And so I think I think I want to cheers to all of those folks who are occupying those spaces. I support you. Continue to doing what you're doing. Because uh, there's, there's someone looking at you. There is somebody looking at you. Whether they're saying it or not, I've had so many people come to me, like, and text me or like on the side and say, yo, bro, you inspire me. Yo, bro, like I'm doing this because of that. Or like, I'm, I'm doing this because I saw you do this. Keep on doing that. Like, don't, don't like dim your light for, for anyone else. Um, and then in terms of a manifestation for our community, I think I, I really want to see us like come together uh, and, and continue to support each other. I think there's not enough of that. Uh, the fact that, like, you know, that, that little family story, like, it, it starts in the family. Uh, and I think I think we need to... There's there's things that we need to heal as a community uh, that are from generations ago and that we're, like, currently working through. And so I, I hope that we heal and that we stop thinking that it's a competition between each other. It's a competition with ourselves. And... We need to we need to push at anyone's light that 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 is you know going up. We need to push it higher and promote it and advocate for it because what that person is doing on the other end, even if they're making more money than me and they hustling and they, and, and they you know they doing more than me, I can learn something from. I can learn something from that. I can learn from. I don't care if I'm thirty. I don't care if I'm forty. I don't care if I got two kids. You could do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. Oof, mic drop. Okay. <laughs> Just gonna end it there. <laughs> <laughs> Salud, amigo. I'm really happy that you were here, that you shared your story, your sesson, all the things with us, tips, tricks. I, I appreciate you and I appreciate your existence in this world and your presence in so many people's lives. You're doing the damn thing. Salud. Hey. Appreciate you, sis. <laughs>